Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast here with your host, Daniel Vincent. You can find us and other podcasts at reformpodcast.com. Also, check out our blog at theparticularbaptist.net. If you would like to support our ministry, one great way of doing that is by signing up at Patreon. You can sign up through one of the three tiers that we have or give a custom amount. Uh, any of those are helpful to our ministry. And for those who already support us through Patreon, we greatly appreciate that. And we thank you for your support of the ministry. But patreon.com forward slash the particular Baptist is where you can do that. So hopefully uh, it, it is the evening at 7.17 p.m. here in Northern Virginia, East Coast time. Um, and I'm winding down a little bit, so hopefully I don't kind of wander off into the bushes a little bit uh, with my voice. I'm really tired, uh, and hopefully I'm not going to trail off or get lost in my notes here this evening uh, in what I'm going to be presenting. So bear with me if I start to to kind of wander off a little bit. But this evening, I'm going to be bringing out Doug Wilson. Doug Wilson, man, he's always popping his head out in one way or another. He slinks into the the background and then throws something out there popping himself out again then slinks into the background that seems to be the way he does things but he has continued to cause quite a bit of stir in the reform world i think ever since his especially i mean there's other things that cause some issues but I think especially with his understanding of covenant theology and justification, i.e. federal vision theology. And that storm that he's created with that back in the early 2000s has not died off. We did an episode talking about federal vision theology. My goal is not to do a rehash of all that, uh, although I will mention a little bit some things about it. But it has definitely created some problems in the Reformed world and there's still debate about federal vision as it relates to that theology that he's brought out for instance one example of this we see wilson seeing imputation of the act of obedience of christ as not necessary to the gospel message if you look at the federal vision statement he is very clear about that so while he would confess that imputation by the act of obedience of Christ is crucial to justification, he would not see that as part of the gospel. He also sees faith working itself out in love as a covenantal condition for the new covenant instead of simply receiving what has been done in Jesus Christ. If you see his book, Reformed is Not Enough, he talks about faith working itself out in love as being a condition of the new covenant. And then God is keeping his end of the bargain of the covenant because we're keeping our condition. So there is some very problematic understandings. And I'm not sure if that's if he was talking about faith as it relates to the initial faith of justification or faith continuing on in life. But either way, it's still a problematic understanding of the new covenant. Now, this language, and I bring this up because I think it's important to point out that Wilson will use common Reformed language 
even confessional language, Reformed confessional language, to talk about different doctrines. He'll use the same terminology, claim to follow the same tradition, but we see at the end of the day, in some of these areas at least, he doesn't mean the same thing that we mean. Those of us who hold to a traditional understanding of uh, certain terminologies like justification, uh, faith being the sole instrument of our justification, things like that. He might claim that he understands these things in the same way, but when he starts to explain some of these things, it doesn't come out in the way that your traditional reformed confessional person would understand them. And I think this creates some really problematic and confusing teaching that is coming from Christ Church out there in Moscow, Idaho, from Doug Wilson. It's confusing because he's using a lot of the same language. A lot of that language that we're familiar with, like, oh yeah, he sounds just like us. Look at this. He's He believes exactly what we believe about this particular topic. And then he flushes it out in his blog, or he writes a book about it, or puts out a video, and as you work through it, like, no, he doesn't mean what we understand those things to mean. And that really creates a lot of confusion, I think. Wilson is a snake. I would put it out there and say it. Wilson is a snake. He says one thing, but means something else in multiple areas. And using a lot of that same language that we're familiar with while meaning something different by it. And we're going to see something, uh, a good example of that uh, this evening. But I think that's why I think he's been able to slither his way into reform circles without a whole lot of pushback because he uses a lot of the same language that we do. So we have to be uh, very, very careful when we're understanding these things. We have to parse the terminology. We have to understand what's being said and not just necessarily take it at face value just because it sounds similar to what we're familiar with. We have to really you know, split hairs as it relates to some of these, some of this terminology. So the article that we are putting out here, article, well, not that I'm putting out, but that Wilson put out, this is from July 28th, 2023. He put it on his blog, blog and mad blog. And it's a quote from a book that he put out uh, called the Auburn Avenue Chronicles. And it's basically just a compilation of, it's a compilation of blog articles as it relates to federal vision, excuse me, and different responses that he's done to people on the topic. Uh, it's pretty extensive. I, I think it's over 600 pages, if I recall. I, I purchased the digital PDF version. It was only a dollar on his blog, but it, it's quite extensive. Uh, so you're you can go and find quite a bit of material, historical material from his blog there. But he posted this quote from there, and this is him discussing some of the different. Um, uh, he he's interacting with some views of a, a couple different men and trying to work out some of the discussions there. 
Well, let's read this here. This is from page uh, pages 60 and 61 of the Auburn Avenue Chronicles. Quote, what is regeneration? It is, uh, what is regeneration? That is an existential and experimental reality. God takes away a heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. Now, when does regeneration occur? According to the traditional ordo, regeneration is first, then repentance, then faith, then justification. Imputation arrives with justification. What is the righteousness that this new heart has, both experimentally and practically? It is an infused righteousness. Regeneration is not imputed, right? Regeneration is a change of heart from an unrighteous heart that hates God to a righteous heart, but still imperfect heart that loves him, repents of sin, and believes in him. At the end of the day, this means infused righteousness as the instrument of imputed righteousness, end quote. And that line at the end there, infused righteousness as the instrument of imputed righteousness, I think is uh, the key takeaway that I want us to focus on as it relates from that post. Now, I did go back and look at the uh, the article itself because it's it's from a particular article. I believe it's from 2008. I'd, I have to go back and look it up. It was quite a while ago that the uh, the actual article that is in the Auburn Avenue Chronicles from his blog uh, is being quoted from. Uh, and there were there was some debate that I saw on Twitter as to whether or not uh Doug was actually, you know, meaning something different by these words or not, or they're, you know, whether or not it was problematic, I should say, with regards to Wilson actually using this terminology. Uh, I went back and looked at the context. And if you looked at the article itself, you might be able to say, well, it, maybe Wilson isn't taking a particular view. Maybe he's just interacting with the people he's discussing about. Fair enough. Fair enough. However, there's other places. There's at least one other place in the Auburn Avenue Chronicles. And there's another place uh, with regards to his examination questions as it relates to getting into, I believe it's uh, the, uh, the denomination that he's a part of. But those are readily available online. And he talks about this in fair enough depth. So I, I do want to engage some of that. And I also want to look at just briefly a Twitter interaction between Wilson and Phil Johnson, just to give a little bit of context after it was posted from Wilson, uh, just so we can kind of see what's going on here. So this is from August 2nd, 2023. Wilson says, come on, guys, I affirm WCF on justification, but the tension remains. Either regeneration has to follow justification, which denies a traditional order. Or regeneration is not an internal work, or Gaffin is right. And I, I think Gaffin is one of the characters that he was interacting with in the article. And then Phil Johnson, same date, uh, responded, I know you formally affirm the confession, but IMO, or in my opinion, the paragraph you put up for discussion affirms precisely what the WCF denies, namely that infused righteousness is instrumental in justification. And finally, Doug Wilson said, Phil, no, I am highlighting a tension between the WCF on infused, imputed, and the traditional stopwatch order as developed by Perkins. In stopwatch world, regeneration, repentance, faith, justification. 
So I just wanted to put that out there as a little bit of because Doug did talk about it some after the fact. Uh, and I, I think it's just important to at least put that out there for context. Um, but as I mentioned, it if we took the article he quoted from on its face, I don't think we could say that he necessarily held to the view that infused righteousness is the instrument of imputed righteousness. You could argue that he was just merely interacting or discussing the views of two other people. But again, there's more context that's given. So on page 695 of the Auburn Avenue Chronicles, he says this, quote, Third, Lane was grateful that I excluded works of every kind from justification, but is still troubled over my use of the phrase spirit-filled faith. He asks, do we have to be sanctified in order to be justified? Well, if we define sanctification as any form of infused righteousness, then the Orthodox Reform answer to this is clearly yes. Just for the record, I have raised this point multiple times, and no one has offered a satisfactory answer to date. In the Ordo, the first item of business is regeneration, which is a transformation in us. It is a form of infused righteousness, a type of sanctification. If my heart is not changed, then I cannot believe the right way. And if I cannot believe the right way, then I cannot be justified. So you can see he talks about this more, but he's talking about it in the positive. He's not merely discussing someone else's view on the matter. He's actually giving a positive response to this person, Lane, and I'm not sure who this is. Whether it's Lane Tipton or, or somebody else. I couldn't find it. But he's giving a positive response to Lane's question, do we have to be sanctified in order to be justified? And he appears to give the presentation in uh, the positive. This is the Reformed Orthodox view, and he tries to flesh out what that means. So he's not merely just saying, well, this is the opinion of someone else. He's giving a positive answer to someone who disagrees with him. So it seems that he is giving a positive, uh, a, a positive response and therefore giving approval to this position that sanctification is required before justification and that you know, regeneration is a form of infused righteousness. So, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's pretty clear from that that he affirms it. Uh, and, and there's another place that we can look at here, too. And we'll jump into that in a second with regards to his questions. But I think here, obviously, he's putting the cart before the horse. Um, infusion before imputation, I think, creates a, a huge can of worms. Even if, you, even if one doesn't mean it in the way that it comes across, using that terminology is so, has some such negative connotations with it and horrible implications that one should just not use it and just say what you mean by it. Um, and I, I think that's, again, part of the problem is he tries to use a lot of the same language that we use, but then means something different by it. Or in this case, he's using language that is never meant to be put in, you know, before justification and then starts to use it in a way that was never intended to be used in the first place. Uh, so I, I think there's some, there's some problems here, but saying one's infused righteousness is the instrument of our justification is saying that one can be saved through their works at the end of the day. So we, we have to be, we have to be really, really careful about this. 
Um, before I dive into that a little more, let's look at uh, some of the questions that he, uh, that he had. This is from question 105 of his examination questions. And I think you can find this on the Federal Vision website. And this is publicly available. I found it pretty easily. Um, and I was able to download the PDF. And let me share it here so everybody can see and follow along. And not just look at my face as I'm reading something to you. One second here. And there we go. Okay. Question 105. This is Doug Wilson being examined. And then the italicized text is his answer. So the question is, when speaking of regeneration, you use the phrase infused righteousness. This is not customary regeneration phraseology, though in light of John Murray's definitive sanctification, it seems legitimate. What do you mean by the expression infused righteousness and how that relates to justification? Does God justify because in regeneration, a new heart has been given to us and we have been changed? Does the infused righteousness have anything to do with the judicial declaration of righteousness that constitutes justification? Now, notice the way that they phrase the question here. They're trying to clarify because I think the the framers of the question understand the implications of what he is saying as it relates to infused righteousness. Because if you say that infused righteousness comes before justification, that therefore implies that I am justified on the basis of that. So they're trying to clarify what that, what he means by that. And, and the line of questioning I think is, is accurate. And the peculiarity of the phrase infused righteousness as it relates to regeneration as they say, is not customary. Uh, it's certainly not found um, among uh, in our in the Reformed confessions. Uh, but his answer goes like this. He says, quote, my use of infused righteousness as descriptive of regeneration was a deliberate tweaking of some who ignore the implications of the traditional categories. Regeneration is certainly not imputed righteousness, and it certainly is an internal change of the sinner's heart. So infuse seems accurate enough. And it does line up with Murray's definitive sanctification. But this highlights a problem with the way many among the Reformed have understood all this. Our faith is imperfect, even though it is genuine and God-given. This means that God can use the imperfect instrument of faith to enable us to receive the perfect righteousness of Christ, the perfect gift of Christ's righteousness. The new heart is not the ground of justification any more than faith was, which we have to understand as the instrument of justification. Instead of saying faith is the instrument, not ground of justification, we may now say the regenerate heart believing is the instrument, not ground of justification. But the reason it tweaks us, uh, it, I'm sorry, but the reason it tweaks us at all is that we are accustomed to give pride of place to imputed righteousness, all the while not recognizing that in a traditional reformed ordo salutis, or the order of salvation, the pride of place actually goes to a type of infused righteousness, regeneration. There is nothing new here. I'm saying nothing that cannot be derived by good and necessary consequences from the traditional ordo, end quote. So notice some key terms here. Notice some key terms. Well, first of all, it's beyond a shadow of a doubt that Wilson affirms this idea that regeneration is an infused righteousness. If there's any doubt whatsoever, this is the proof. 
uh, this coupled with the other quote that I read from the Auburn Avenue Chronicles. Uh, unless, of course, he goes back and denies one of the things that got him into the denomination he's in in the first place, which I think would be might be problematic on his end. But what we can see here is, you know, he, he talks about uh, what did he say was a deliberate tweaking. OK, he's tweaking. He's tinkering with the language here. And he admits that openly. That's not me imposing any kind of meaning back into what he's saying. That's using his language. He says, uh, my use of infused righteousness as a descriptive of regeneration was a deliberate tweaking. Okay, so he's tweaking the language here. But notice some, if you look right here, he starts to change certain things, right? Instead of saying faith is the instrument, not ground of justification, we may now say the regenerate heart believing is the instrument, not ground justification he's added something to this right faith no longer faith alone is no longer the instrument of our justification it's the believing heart with faith that's the instrument of our justification and you can see if you don't understand the categories of justification properly or you might have a, a basic understanding of them and these implications haven't worked out yet and that's okay, we're all growing, but as long as we, we're understanding these things at a basic level and we grasp them. But to the trained ear, this is problematic because it may not seem like a lot on its face. You know, oh yeah, my regenerate heart does believe. That is true. I believe in Jesus Christ and my heart has been regenerated. That on its face sounds good. But He's saying that the instrument by which our justification comes is now the regenerate heart believing. It's not just faith anymore. Okay? And that is a problem. This is not a description of faith alone. This is adding to faith alone. Saying now it's something, my infused righteousness along with faith is now the instrumental means of my justification. Okay, and that's consistent with what we see in the article that he put out there. Discuss among yourselves. And and by the way, as a side note, you don't put out something like that, just drop it like a like a grenade, and say, "Well, you guys just discuss among yourselves, figure it out, figure it out." You know, just discuss among yourselves and not provide any clarification. Like, I mean, this is this is such a crucial issue that. You're going to just throw that out there and just have people duke it out online. I mean, that that is not prudent at all. Not prudent at all. Uh, just you have to clarify these things or at least say, you know, put out there for everybody to see. Look, this is what I'm putting this out here. But here's the position that I think or here's the correct position. That's what he really should have done. Um. Or, or even if the position he's putting out there is controversial, happens to be correct, at least clarifying it, knowing that it's quite controversial and not just throwing things around like that. I, I think that's that's dangerous. I mean, this could this could mislead people if it's not properly clarified. Um, so while it wasn't hard for me to find a lot of this material or, or the material here, uh, you know, it might not be readily available to 
to everyone who may come across it. They might not know where to look. They might not know uh, who to talk to, and it could cause confusion. So when he labeled that discuss among yourselves, I mean, that that is just very imprudent on such a crucial doctrine as justification. You've already admitted that you're tweaking the, the traditional language, and now you're just throwing things out there on gospel issues like this and just hoping, you know, just so people can discuss among themselves or whatever the case might be, that that is extremely imprudent and foolish. Uh, but be that as it may, you got to clarify these things because look at, I mean, you just look at this here with the nuance, right? The nuance, just reading this in passing, you might not pick up that he has, <clears throat> excuse me, he has said here that the regenerate heart believing is the instrument uh, not the ground of justification. He's added to faith alone. That could slip by a lot of people. You have to clarify these things and, and be clear on what you mean by them, not just throw them around. So I think that uh, I think that this section here is is very helpful in understanding where he's coming from. Um, but kind of back to discussing the actual uh, the actual theology itself. Is it proper to say? That, in, that one, regeneration is infused righteousness, and number two, is that actually the means of our justification, the instrument of our justification? So to the, the answer to the first question, I would say no. Regeneration is not infused righteousness. While it is a change that is wrought in me, it is a change of heart, it is not something that uh, I have some kind of righteousness now that I can then act upon because that's what infused righteousness is referring to. And I'm going to get into those categories uh, here in a little bit. But as I said already, infusion of righteousness before imputation implies that something that is inherent in me that is righteous is now leading to my justification. Now I can claim, I can claim that I did something to save myself. I have something to boast about. Yeah, my infused righteousness, my inherent righteousness is now part of the grounds of my justification. Now, he can say all he wants that, well, it's an instrument, but not an actual, uh, it, it's only an instrument, it's not the grounds of. But if something that I am doing that is inherent in me that is inherent in me, as infused righteousness necessarily entails, that means that something has been changed in me to where I am now inherently righteous, and that is now the means by which I get to be imputed righteousness, I get to be made right before God, you have now, at, unintentionally or otherwise, said that I am now able to boast upon something that is inherent in me, okay? I, that's that's the implications that we have here. That's the implications that we have here. And he's also creating this, and I, I think he, honestly, I don't know where he would fall on this. I, I didn't see anything on it, so I'm not going to say one way or the other. But based on that tweet that I read, he talks about the Ordo Salutis, uh, the stopwatch, uh, the stopwatch Ordo. You have this, then this, then this. Uh, we would properly make a distinction between a logical 
progression of the Ordo Salutis and what actually happens. We don't believe that regeneration happens temporally and then you believe by faith as if there's this real progression in time. You're you're regenerated and then you believe, you know, you you regenerate on Monday and you believe on Tuesday. We don't believe that. We believe it happens all at the same time. But logically speaking, in a logical formulation, it does regeneration does precede faith. So we have to be really, really careful um, about that. We have to be really, really careful about that. Um, let's see here. So I was going to read from uh, from 1 Corinthians 1, 27-31. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, redemption, so that all that is written, let one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. So some grounds he stands in relation to your salvation. So again, we, we're going to have something to boast about if we say that our righteousness, our infusion, uh, or regeneration is some kind of infusion of righteousness that then is the instrument of my justification. Now you have something to boast about. Uh, I think we you're very clear here about that. Um, looking at Second Corinthians four one through six, uh, I think this is key in understanding uh, the distinction between what actually happens in uh, regener in salvation with faith and regeneration. Uh, really happening at the same time, and maybe even faith being a completion of regeneration. Uh, there's no real temporal lapse between them. But Second Corinthians 4, 1 through 6, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ says, Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul compares the spiritual light which God made the you know which God shines in us through the gospel with that of ex nihilo creation it's just instant right so when the gospel light shines in our hearts we are saved that process of uh, salvation is instantaneous God shines in our hearts we're regenerated we're uh, made right before God by faith uh, it acts like ex nihilo. He says the light shines forth and it shines forth. There's no real temporal process going on there. And I think this passage really helps uh, to bring that out. But looking at the different categories here, when we're looking at uh, infusion of righteousness, um, this is righteousness that is given subjectively to the individual. So they actually become righteous, right? They actually become righteous, and it's in reference to sanctification, at least in the perspective of uh, the 1677 London Baptist Confession of Faith and the Westminster Confession of Faith. Now, if you're looking at Rome, 
Um, at least as it relates to Trent, I don't know where you would find a lot of modern day Roman Catholics falling on this, but if you're looking at Trent like in chapter 16, they conflate uh, the infusion of certain graces into the person uh, as it relates to uh, justification, and they conflate those. They will talk about God's uh, God accepting the person, judicially speaking, but there's an infusion being done there in the person as it relates to justification. Um, so this idea of infused righteousness um, as it relates to justification obviously is denied, and we're going to look at that in a second with uh, with uh, the confession of faith from the, the London Baptist writers. Um, but chapter 16 at Trent, uh, thus neither is our own justice established as our own from ourselves, nor is the justice of God ignored or repudiated, for that justice which is called ours, because we are justified by its inherence in us, that same is the justice of God, because it is infused into us by God through the merit of Jesus Christ. So you can see here Rome, at the time at least with Trent, was saying that not only the justice of God important for justification, but it's infused into us, okay? You become inherently just. You're, you're infused with the justice of God. Now, looking at chapter 8 of Trent on the nature of justification. This disposition or preparation is followed by justification itself, which is not a remission of sins, but also the sanctification and renewal of the inward man through the voluntary reception of the grace and gifts whereby an unjust man becomes just and from being an enemy becomes a friend that he may be an heir according to hope of life everlasting. For though no one can be just except he whom the merits of the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ are communicated, yet this takes place in that justification of the sinner, when by the merit of the most holy passion the charity of God is poured forth by the Holy Ghost in the hearts of those who are justified and inheres in them. So the language of infusion is being used here again. Whence man through Jesus Christ in whom he is engrafted receives that justification together with the remission of sins, all these infused at the same time, namely faith, hope, and love. So fusion of holiness into the person takes place of justification. And again, the, the those two confessions uh, deny that. Um, so if if we're looking at infused righteousness, this is really uh, primarily, at least from a, these two confessional standpoints, something that happens post uh, being justified. There's no infusion of righteousness in that sense uh, before one is justified. And I see here someone put in the chat from, uh, let's see, Brandon Corley, 1689, regeneration, which we hold is brought about by the Spirit through an infusion um, of habits, Turretin. Uh, can you give me that specific where that is? I'm assuming that's from his institutes, uh, but I'd like to go back and look at that. Uh, if we're talking about infusion of habits as it relates to, um, you know, that if we're talking about it as it relates to the person being made a new creature, being born again. Um, then I'm fine with that. But if we're talking about an actual righteousness where the person um, is given in actual righteousness um, prior to being justified, I, th I still think that's problematic, and I certainly wouldn't find that as confessional. And I highly doubt Turretin is going to say that infused righteousness becomes the instrument 
of imputed righteousness. And that would be a very different conversation altogether um, because Doug goes beyond just saying that, you know, we're made born again and we're made new. Um, but I can go back and take a look at that more. Brandon, if you're still listening, if you could pop the source or the citation in there so I can go back and, and take a peek at that. Um, that would be helpful. Uh, let's see here. John says, isn't there an infusion of righteousness God works in his people both to will? It was good pleasure. Um, yes, absolutely, John. Um, that is that is absolutely correct. But we would say that would happen post-justification. Okay. And I think that's why the Reformed Confessions, the Westminster Confession, and the Second London Baptist Confession are very careful to make that distinction. And we're going to look at that here um, real quick as it relates to the 1689, which uses the same or very similar language to the Westminster Confession of Faith. And you said you can't have righteousness prior to being justified by definition. Um, if you're talking about sanctification and infused righteous like sanctification like i talked about then yeah you can't you can't that flows from sanctification the acts of infused righteousness in the person flow from uh justification and those two different types of righteousness are distinct as well right as we're talking about here infusion of righteousness rome conflates them rome conflates justification with sanctification at least they did at Trent. I don't know where you'll find a lot of modern Catholics now. Who knows what this Pope believes anymore uh, about these things. But at least uh, as it relates to Trent in the 1500s, we do see this conflation of categories. Now, when we're talking about imputed righteousness, that's a much more familiar term with people, I think. Uh, imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ is the active and passive obedience of Christ received by the person by faith, and they are accounted as righteous. They're not inherently righteous. They're accounted as righteous, judicially speaking. They are made right from a judicial standpoint before God. They are accepted on the basis of Christ's work and therefore are brought into the kingdom of God on that basis. So let's look at the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, and I'll share this real quick. There's actually a really good website, um, 16, the1689confession.com, which is a really good. I use it all the time. has all of the, the chapters, paragraphs in the 1689 laid out very nicely, and uh, you can find things really easily. Bible references are clickable, all that stuff. This is chapter 11, paragraph 1 of the 1689. Those whom God effectually calls, he also freely justifies, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them, nor done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing Christ's active obedience unto the whole law and passive obedience in his death for their whole and sole righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves, it is the gift of God. Okay, that's chapter 11, uh, paragraph 1. Um, 
of the London Baptist Confession of Faith. Now, notice some key terminology here. Very early on, God justifies not by infusing righteousness into them. This is a direct counter uh, counterphrase to Rome. I read from Trent, they're talking about explicit infusion and justification uh, being in part an infusion of things into the sinner. They're explicitly denying that. Justification is not by infusion, infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and accounting them as righteous. And another thing as well, it says that it's not for anything wrought in them. There's nothing in them that's been done to them, even by God, that is the basis of their justification. Okay? Nor anything done by them. Okay? So it even, ex it even includes the acts of God himself in the person. Anything done in the person subjectively, which could include you know, a hypothetical infused righteousness prior to justification. Not even something like that is the grounds of a person's justification. Not for anything wrought in them or done by them. So not anything done in them nor anything done by them, which obviously some kind of an infused righteousness as an instrumental means of something, at the very least, would imply. Nor any other evangelical obedience to them. So anything that they do, whatever the case might be, the, the confession is excluding any possibility that anything anybody does before they are justified uh, brings a, can be any kind of grounds for their justification. And not even the faith itself. The faith itself is, is not even a grounds of justification. So it's only based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Well, that excludes everything. There's nothing that can come before. There's... There's nothing but faith as the instrumental means of receiving that salvation. Okay. And you'll see later on in the same chapter. Let me see if I can find it. I believe it's paragraph two. Yes, here it is. Faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness, is the alone instrument of justification. Yet it is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all their saving graces and is no dead faith, but works. By love. In other words, if someone is a Christian, they will show they are a Christian by the infused righteousness of the uh, works that flow from that, i.e., sanctification. Okay, but it's very clear that the alone instrument of justification is faith. So, again, this does not uh, bode well for Wilson's understanding of this. If he's trying, and he's trying to take it from a, I think from a conventional perspective, but uh, it, it just doesn't fly. It, the alone instrument of justification. There's nothing prior. There's no righteousness that is infused in me that therefore leads to that. Uh, we have to be really, really careful with the language that we use or we can cause so much confusion here. Um, but I want to look here real quick at if you... Let's see. Sorry, let me get rid of my screen here. There we go. Um, the, to the judicious and impartial reader, Jim Renahan, get it if you don't have it. This is a must-have for your library. For any, uh, even even Presbyterians, I think can benefit from this. And I have Westminster. I have a Westminster Confession commentary over there. Um, you know, we can learn from each other, and there's a lot of commonality 
with our confessions, but this is a very helpful uh, work. But for 275, uh, page 275, we're going to talk about this a little bit. Here we go. Okay. That's towards the bottom of the page of 275. It says the second pair, not for anything wrought in them, but for Christ's sake alone, addresses an error arising from the related notion that we are justified on the basis of what God does in us, as, for example, washing away our sins by means of baptism, and then pursuing the grace of the other sacraments. This assumes that justification is an internal act, misses the nature of justification as forensic, and confuses it with the process of sanctification. So, as I've said already, there's nothing in us inherently, or there's nothing in us even that God does in us that can be the grounds of our justification, or even, uh, even the instrument of our justification, which, of course would mean that I have something to boast about because my righteousness has now led to my justification. There, there's no other way to look at that. But as we can see here, the confession is completely denying that. He goes on to say, Dr. Renahan, Jim Renahan says, a third essential, the third essentially denies that justification results from a human act, such as the act of faith or evangelical obedience, as if it is our righteousness. According to... According to Dixon, Arminians argue that faith itself is imputed for righteousness, i.e. when an individual believes, the very act of believing becomes the formal cause of justification. In other words, it, it would seem that uh, there is some sort of infusion of faith going on here, uh, because that faith is seen as that person's righteousness. This is something that they're doing of themselves, which implies that the righteousness is inherent in them, the faith is inherent in them, which then becomes the grounds of their justification. The Arminians believe that. The nemesis of the particular Baptist, Thomas Collier, seems to have adopted the same notion. Now, no surprise there, given Collier was wrong on a lot of issues. He, that is Collier, criticizes the statement of the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith in a postscript to his A Common Confession of Faith. And then uh, Renahan quotes Benjamin Keach, who was one of the signers of the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, and I think it's very helpful. He's, uh, Keach says, quote, All our Orthodox divines agree with us that faith, neither as a habit or grace or as an act, much less in respect of the fruits thereof, justifies us. When, therefore, tis said that we are justified by faith, it intends not any moral or physical causality in faith as a qualification, but only by virtue of the object it apprehends. Mr. Bradford, that holy martyr, say, saith, not the action of itself of believing, as it is a quality in man, doth so deserve, but because it taketh that dignity and virtue from the object Jesus Christ. So, they're talking about faith here specifically, but notice, again, the terminology. They're remoting anything that could relate to any kind of infused righteousness as being some kind of basis in any way of our justification. They're saying that faith is not a quality in them. Faith is not something that is inherent in the person. It's a gift of God given to them, and therefore they exercise that gift. But it's not inherent in them, therefore it's not infused in them. And they're denying all of that kind of language because they understand if there's any kind of 
of infusion of righteousness in the person that is the instrument of just uh, of you know leading to imputed righteousness or acceptance before God. Now I have something to boast about. Okay, and that's always what it goes back to as it relates to this. If I introduce something that I do that's inherent in me as the basis of my justification or even an instrument, which would lead to that. Now I've introduced, even if it's just a little bit, something that I can boast about. Yeah, Lord, that, you know, yeah, you regenerated me, but that was my righteousness because you made me right. You, you made me born again, but that was my righteousness because it was infused. And that was the instrument that led to my justification. Now I can claim that. I would have to because that's the chain of events that happens according to Wilson. That's the chain of events. And we have to be really careful about these kind of things. It's, it's so dangerous to, to uh, throw terminology around like this. Uh, even if one does not mean to do so, one needs to check before they post things like that to make sure that what they are saying on such a crucial issue, to make sure that what they are saying is, is correct, right, on something uh, as it relates to that or at least put out clarification what they intend by it so as not to confuse others. But we're talking about the gospel here. This is not a, a secondary issue that we can just disagree on and go home and, and everybody's okay. No, if we get this wrong, if we get justification wrong, uh, people can go to hell. People can go to hell. People can die in their sins because they were misled about the gospel. That's why this is such an important issue. That's why it's not something to just be flippant with and throw articles around and, and just say, discuss among yourselves. That's flippant with such a crucial issue. People's souls are at stake. We shouldn't be flippant with an issue like this. We should take it seriously. We are made right before God because of what Jesus did, and the sole instrument of that is faith. That faith is not from me. It is granted to us, as Philippians 1 says. It's granted that we believe in God. We have to be so careful that we don't introduce any kind of effort on my part, anything that could even imply or, or give a shadow of, of appearance of that. We have to be so careful or we are going to deceive people uh, and certainly not give credit or not give credibility to the person saying it. So we have to be we have to be very, very careful about those things, making sure that our understanding of the gospel is coming from scripture and not what we think a particular uh not what we think particular terminology to should be put on certain uh, aspects of salvation. Uh let's see, saw some more another comment come in. John, you said is an infusion of righteousness. There's a little, uh, yes, we talked about that. You can't have righteousness prior. Okay, and then you said, but the new man of righteousness is created in Christ, so he has Christ's righteousness because he is found in him. He has Christ's righteousness because he's found in him because he believes by faith in Christ. He believed by faith that righteousness of Christ, the active and passive obedience, so active obedience is Christ's life lived. He lived a perfect life. He obeyed the law of God perfectly. And then his passive obedience is his death, taking the punishment for our sins, which is also justice because Christ is being punished for what the law required 
would happen to someone who did not obey God's law perfectly. The curse, right? As we see in Galatians, the curse was put upon Jesus Christ. Uh, but that righteousness is ours, not subjectively, not in, by not infused into us, but that righteousness is ours by virtue of us being united to Christ by faith in the new covenant. We receive uh, that be- those benefits, and that righteousness is accounted to us as if we had done uh, what Christ did. So God looks at us, uh, looks, quote-unquote, looks at us through uh, the lens of Jesus Christ's righteousness. And that's how we're acceptable before him. So uh, hopefully that's helpful. All right. Um, but anybody, anyways, good conversation. Thank you for participating. Those who put some comments in here, good. Um, you know, it's good to hear from people. Um, but I hope this episode has been helpful. Got a little fiery there. You know, it, it, it's such a crucial issue, and I get frustrated when I see um, these kind of things come out. It's it just makes my skin crawl, so to speak. Um, and it's frustrating, but I hope this has been a, a helpful discussion um, and can help with some of the categories. Uh, it's by no means exhaustive, but it can at least hopefully, uh, you know, help to bring some clarity to this issue. Um, but thank you everyone for joining me this evening. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Um, I think we'll be having a guest on next week. Then um, next week's a night. Yeah, we plan to have a guest on next week. Uh, plan to talk about dispensationalism, always a fun and controversial topic. So we will see how that goes, but looking forward to it. Uh, but as always, thank you for joining me. Have a great evening and have a great Lord's Day on Sunday. But take care, everybody.